Good morning, everybody. My name is Daniel, and uh, I have the privilege of taking us into God's Word this morning. I invite you to pray with me as we get started. Father, I just will be um, the first to admit this morning that I have absolutely no confidence in my ability to change anybody's heart. But I have a unlimited amount of confidence in your absolute power to change us. Thank you, God, that nothing can stop your purposes. And it's even more amazing when I think about myself, Lord, and just how hard-hearted I can be sometimes. And the fact that you continue to pursue me and you don't let me stay where I am. And... um, Just thank you. Thank you, Lord. This morning, I also just thank you for the community that we have here in this church. And it's it's imperfect, but it's beautiful. And even as we think about just the people who are seated around us this morning, um, we're just thankful for one another. God, we know that we are a gift from you to one another, that this community is not something that we want to take for granted, uh, but we want to lean in. And God, we know that you have something unique for us here at this little church in little Winona, Minnesota. Um, Thank you so much for your presence here. It's incredible that you would even be mindful of us, much less give us your presence here this morning. But we just thank you that um, the spirit of Jesus, the very one who spoke the words that we're going to read today, that your very spirit is here among us and you're gonna help us and teach us this morning. What an incredible gift. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm gonna take us back a little bit. Take, I'm gonna take you back and ask you to think about the very first time you had a crush on someone. It was a weird experience, wasn't it? All of a sudden, maybe you didn't care about boys or girls or whatever before, but I remember when I was in middle school, the first crush I had, it was like, that girl was all I could think about. And the crazy thing is, I didn't even know her that well. <laughs> and that's the funny thing about crushes, right? You, you maybe notice something that you like about somebody. You think they're cute. You think they're funny. Maybe you have some similar interests. And then your imagination runs wild. And you just are like, this person is the perfect person. We should be, you know, oh, this is to- I'm totally going to marry this person. <laughs> you know, it's like, you bar- but you've never even talked to them. You know, it's, the, it's that kind of thing or you've barely talked to them. That's, that's the kind of thing that a crush is. And it's just, it's funny, but our imaginations will just run wild, right? And we'll make this whole picture of this person based on the very few details we know about them. And, um, and often it's not an accurate picture. And for those of us who, uh, who maybe are married now, we realize how unrealistic those crush type of pictures are when it, as it relates to being in a real relationship with somebody. Because my crush was perfect. My wife is not perfect. <laughs> Right? And, uh, and, and my wife would be able to say amen. Her husband is not perfect either, right? And so the reality is, is that we can easily, though, build these unrealistic ideas of people. And even more important than that uh, is 
the reality or having the, the right uh, understanding of who Jesus is. But often we have a crush-like view of him. We may know a few things about him, but do we really know who he is and what he wants and what he's after? And what we see in the gospels is Jesus consistently, like over and over and over again, coming against kind of this surface, surface level view of who he is. People thinking, oh, Jesus did this, that means he's, and then they fill in all these details based on what very little they know about him. And really he's not calling us to be crushes, right? He's calling us to be disciples to be followers. And that's what we're going to see as we jump into the end of Luke 14 this morning. We're going to start in verse 25, and this will be on the screen for you to read along. It says, now, as, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to, and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's where we're starting. <laughs> and this is the thing. So notice that the, the way that this passage starts, it says there's great crowds, okay? Big, big crowds of people. Potentially, I mean, for sure, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. We know that there were moments where Jesus would have huge crowds of people. And, and we get some numbers sometimes like feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. And that was just the, the number of men that were there. So huge, huge crowds. And Jesus is really good at a lot of things. Okay, he's an amazing teacher, like the best that's ever lived. He's an incredible disciple maker. So good at just taking people, bringing people in in relationship and helping them to learn the realities of life and to embody his values and take them kind of from point A to point B. He's an incredible bread maker, wine maker, fisherman, like he, everything he does, he's the best at. And one of the things that Jesus is masterful at is dispersing a crowd. He does it all the time. And I feel like almost every time I'm speaking out of Luke, he's doing it. Like, so it's like every, every sermon I feel like I'm giving, it's like, well, here's Jesus making it hard for people again. You know, it's like, Jesus, this is so, cause again, when I see this, I read this, there's great crowds. What do I think? Ooh, this is a strategic opportunity, Jesus. And by strategic opportunity, I have a very specific way that I think you should use this opportunity. There's a lot of people there. Maybe try to bring a lot of people in. So, you know, I, you've got some really nice teachings that I, I think would make these people feel really good. It would really get them on page with you. It'd help them to see just how loving and caring you are, how much you just really, you know, how much you really want them to experience the, the best of life and all this stuff. Let's start there. But that's not where he starts, is it? And he's like, well, you know, if you want to follow me, like, obviously they're they're following him around. They're like, what's he going to say next? He's like, hey, you want to follow me? Here's what it looks like. You have to hate your family. In fact, you have to hate your own life in comparison to the way that you love me. Now, again, he's not specifically saying like hate, like want the worst for these people. It's more of a semantic kind of like love less than, 
It's a, it's a, it's a comparison, but he says, this is what it takes. In comparison to the way that you love me, everything else has to take a far, far second. And you have to pick up a cross and follow me. Which again, you know, for us, the, the image of a cross has kind of been sterilized or, or, I mean, I guess you could say redeemed, you know, because we think about the cross, we think about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And so in a lot of ways, the cross is kind of a joyful symbol for us, but for these folks who are hearing it, that's not what they're hearing. They're hearing, if you want to follow me, pick up a noose. If you want to follow me, pick up an electric chair and follow me. That's what they're hearing. It's extreme. Like, I'm sure the people are listening to this and they're like, um, what? Pick up what and follow you? Like, I could understand if Jesus, if you're like, pick up the Torah and follow me. Pick up a cross? He's good at dispersing crowds. And again, it's like, surely, Jesus, there's something a little easier you could have picked. But that's not what he's about. He's not about giving us a false image of himself or what it means to follow him. Because Here's, here's the thing, and, and we have to catch this about Jesus, that by his very nature, Jesus must be our one focus. By his very nature. Because again, if all Jesus was, was a great teacher, if that's all he was, then that would kind of give us the latitude to say, oh yeah, Jesus is a really good teacher. He's got a lot of great things to say, a lot of wise things to say. And if you kind of try it out, then you'll kind of see that he was right. So it's like, okay, Jesus is a good teacher. I'll try out some of his teachings. I'll kind of wear them for a while. And okay, yeah, I see that that's right. And uh, I'm not so sure about this. Let's, let's figure that out. Okay, yeah, I'm, I did the, the other thing and that didn't work. Okay, so now I'm gonna do it Jesus's way. Okay, that's working, cool. If that's all he was, then that would kind of be our relationship with him. But Jesus isn't just a great teacher. What Jesus says about himself is he is God. What scripture says about Jesus is that it's by him all things were made. He created all things and all things were made for him. That we exist because of him. And our existence is aimed towards him. Our purpose is him. That really, that's, that's really exclusive. Because <laughs> in our versions of Jesus, often he is an accessory, an add-on. Something that it's like, oh, I want to engage the spiritual part of myself. I will bring Jesus into the picture. But Jesus is like, it can't be like that. Because if we think about scripture, we, we see some, and, and maybe this, this probably hasn't happened for you, but we have some very clear pictures in scripture of people who encountered God. That God would show up and they would say, what's up, man? Glad to see you. Wow, I'm so, I, to, I knew it. I knew you were real. 
I'm totally going to rub this in the face of my friend who, uh, who didn't think that you were. No, that is not what happens. When God shows up, people fall on their face and they say, there is no reason that I should be here. In fact, I'm pretty sure I am going to break apart at the atomic level and die. Because there is, there's just no comparison between creature and creator. No comparison. And to our great shame, we often think there is. <laughs> we come to Jesus, even knowing maybe conceptually that Jesus is God, and we still come to him and say, well, let me weigh this. Hold on, Jesus. I know you're saying this, but just give me a moment. I've got some other stuff to work out. And we see people doing this with Jesus all the time, right? This is a real thing. We always do this. Jesus, let me first go bury my father. Jesus, I've got this other thing to do. Just, you know, just last week. I've, oh, I just made this big purchase. I can't get, you know, whatever. We've always got all these excuses. Like, you know what? I've got this other stuff that's also really important. In comparison with Jesus, nothing even comes close. By his very nature, he has to be our one and only focus. Everything else comes after that. Everything else. And so Jesus is so committed to us knowing who he truly is and having a real relationship with him that's based on the reality of who he is. Let's continue in these verses, verses 28 through 32. It says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man is, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. See, I love this about Jesus. He's just being real straight up. And he uses a couple practical examples that it's like this. He's like, this just makes logical sense. <laughs> you do this when you're about to make a big commitment. And this is what I love about Jesus. It's like, he is truth, right? It's one, of our, it's one of our anchors here, that he is truth and his word brings life. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's truth and he will never bait and switch you. I'm sure we've all had that experience where you felt totally baited and switched. Like where somebody's like, hey, just come help me with this project. It's gonna take like an hour. <laughs> and then it's like eight hours later and you're still there. And you're like, this was a lot more than I tried to, you know, I was trying to do today, right? Like, and I mean, so like one, one example for my life, I was an RA at Winona State and they, you know, there was a job description on the front end, but they don't tell you that it's literally going to consume your entire life. So I only did that for one year. <laughs> I did, did fill out my commitment, but that was it. So if there's any RAs in the house or former RAs, kudos to you, uh, never again. Um, <laughs> But we've all had this experience. Sometimes we might even bring that to Jesus a little bit. We can sometimes feel like, Jesus, were you being straight up with me? Because this seems a little more than I had agreed to. He's like, no, I was telling you this from the beginning. <laughs> like, this is where he starts with people. You want to fo follow me? 
yeah, make everything else come second. And I love it about Jesus that he wants us to be clear from the beginning what we're signing up for. I love that. And I know as a person, like it, it's, I've definitely, I've definitely done this with the gospel. I've definitely baited and switched people. I think that I can do a better job than Jesus, right? Oh, there's a crowd, better make it easier. <laughs> like if we start with some stuff that like is just kind of, let's just, you know, let's start here. You know what? God just, he really loves you, which is true. He just wants your life to be awesome, which is true, but it's not in the way that we think. <laughs> that actually Jesus's path to life is through death. <laughs> that Jesus's path to life is crucifixion and resurrection life. That you cannot experience life with Jesus without first dying with Jesus. <laughs> it's, you can't take those things apart. The kind of life he has for us is resurrection life. And so again, Jesus is bringing out these real practical examples. Just say, hey, this just makes logical sense that if you're going to come and follow me, you need to count the cost. And, you know, so for some of us, maybe you've, uh, some of us in the room have, have set out to build a house, or even if you're just going to buy a house, make a big purchase, something like that. I mean, you definitely, you, you take some time, hopefully, to think through that. Like, can I afford this? Am I going to be able to actually complete this? Am I going to, you know, whatever, be able to pay this loan? Or am I going to be able to, you know, we think through these things. And I think it's, it's interesting here. Um, Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. But when he says these examples, I almost wonder if he's hinting at the cost of not following him as well. Because when I think about, he says, if somebody sets out to build a tower, I think of another tower that happens earlier in the Bible. Well, people are like, hey, we're going to prove that we're basically at least on par with God, if not even a little bit more impressive. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And then same thing, he, he talks about a king coming against another king. And I think about, man, if I, if I feel like I'm king, if I feel like I'm in control of my life, and then Jesus comes along saying he's king, who's going to win that fight? Probably not me. Either way, he's definitely inviting us to do the logical thing and think through deeply what we're committing to before we jump in. Because I think just as we need to count the cost of following Jesus, which according to this is everything, we also need to compare the cost that we give to what we ultimately will gain. There's a reason that people spend tons of money to buy a house or build a house. Because you end up with a house. That has value, right? There's something on the other side of it. You, you spend to receive this certain thing. And here's the thing is that it's so funny to me because I, I'm totally this way. Jesus asked me, hey, why don't you give me this area of your life? And I'm like, oh, but I really like that. Not thinking through the fact that he probably has something way better for me on the other side. Because what do we gain from following Jesus? Well, scripture says, like we've been saying, that we've, we're dead in our sins. Apart from Jesus, without following him, 
We're dead in our sin. That sounds like we're not doing okay <laughs> to me, right? Paramedics don't show up on the scene and see a dead person and say, oh, he's fine. No, that's about as bad as it gets, about as hopeless as it gets. It's in Jesus that we find life. This is why he's so committed to us having a real view of who he is. And part of the reason why by nature he has to be our one focus. I mean, again, we see this, I mentioned before the feeding of the 5,000. One of my favorite stories in Jesus because it, well, I mean, one of my favorite and least favorite. You know what I mean? Like it's so good because it's so true. And then also it just convicts me. Because with the 5,000, he feeds them. He sees that they're hungry and he cares. And he does this miracle and everybody eats tons of food. And I like that. That sounds good to me. But the next day they're like, hey, Jesus, would you do that again? We're hungry again today. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that again. Because although I definitely care about your physical needs, absolutely. I want to give you eternal life. It's another, you know, he again disperses that crowd. It's not what they want. They want bread, Jesus. But Jesus is eternal life, Jesus. He is God, Jesus. And that is what we gain. This is what Jesus says. He's like, I am the bread of life. Eat of me and you will never hunger again. I am the water. I'm the living water. Those who drink from me will never thirst again. He's God. He's who made us. He is where we find our ultimate satisfaction. It's where we find our ultimate peace, our purpose for existence. It's found in him. We can't find it anywhere else. And so all the stuff that he asks us to give is just so that we can put that stuff second and find our satisfaction in him. Here's the thing about obeying Jesus. He doesn't need us to do it. He's not there wringing his hands like, oh, is so-and-so, you know, is Daniel going to get it together today? Because I've got some plans and if he doesn't follow through, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, God has never once had a moment of anxiety about my obedience. Not once. He's okay. He's God, fully satisfied in and of himself. He doesn't need us to be here. He doesn't need us to sing these songs. He doesn't need us to, you know, read this stuff and be like, yeah, God, you're good. He doesn't need us to do that. He invites us to do that because he loves us. Because this is what we were made for. Because this is our greatest good is to elevate Jesus to the highest possible place in our lives. To actually acknowledge him as God in our lives. It is for our good. He really gets nothing out of the deal. In fact, scripture says that he's the one that even gives us the want to do that. I'm not bringing anything to the table. I come poor and needy and crippled and he just lays out a feast. Incredible love. But I have to leave everything else. And here's the amazing thing is that by letting go of everything else and putting him first, I actually begin to enjoy freely all of the things in my life. These blessings like my family. Like, for example, if Jesus is my source, then I can more freely love my wife and my kids because they don't have to fill these needs that I have. Those needs are filled in Jesus. So when they're not at their best, 
I can still pour out unconditional love on them and enjoy them even though they're still in process, as, as am I. And we can enjoy one another knowing that Jesus is holding us together, not our own intrinsic goodness. Because let me just tell you, I don't have that. <laughs> the only good I have is the fact that I'm made in God's image and through Jesus, he's restoring me to that. If there's anything good I have, it's from him. And when we put him in that place, we experience the life that he has for us. And we begin to delight in him. Just to experience true delight in life. Not ride these roller coasters of like, oh, how's this situation going? Good? Then I'm good. Oh, it's bad now? Now I'm bad. It's like my situations are going to go like this. My relationships are going to go like this. But Jesus is so steady. And when we put our hope in him, we experience life the way he made us to experience it. Let's read verse 33, where Jesus just makes it super clear. He says, so therefore, if any one of you who does not, or sorry, any, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's pretty inclusive. <laughs> I can't really find a way around the word all at this point. Okay, so it's family, it's my own life, I got to pick up a cross, and also anything else that I might cling to, yeah, that too. I got to renounce it. So whatever that is, the security that I put in finances, I got to renounce that. The purpose that I find in, you know, working hard at my job, I got to renounce that. The validation that I get from other people and from relationships, the value that I, that I receive, I, I gotta renounce that. I cannot, I cannot find any of those things outside of Jesus. Because the reality is, is that Jesus wants everything and he will keep asking. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's that moment where we first say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all in. Everything that I am, I give it to you. And we have that moment, but that doesn't instantly make us perfect though, does it? And again, my wife would quickly say, no, it does not. <laughs> it doesn't. But it does start us on a journey of following Jesus, right? His invitation, follow me. See, what happens then is day by day, as we encounter these things that are not matching up, these other things that we love, <laughs> Jesus says, hey, give me that. He starts to reveal, you know what, Daniel, you're kind of greedy. You really place a lot of security and money and you're kind of hoarding this to yourself. You're unwilling to be generous. Come learn from me. See how I graciously give everything, including my own life. Learn my way of generosity. Or maybe he says, Daniel, you know, you really think pretty highly of yourself. <laughs> like you just learned that yesterday and now today you're frustrated with other people who haven't learned that yet. 
Why don't you come to me and learn my way of humility? Learn my way of patience. I'm just so thankful for his patience with me. (laughs) But that's what it looks like to follow Jesus day after day after day. I want that too. Why don't you give that to me too? And here Jesus, again, he is just, just a masterful teacher. And so here at this moment where people might feel like, okay, you got to count the cost. This sounds hard, but I'm, I'm understanding these, these examples you're giving of, you know, building and going to war. Okay. He just switches the metaphor. And here in verse 34, he goes, salt is good. And it is good, right? Salt is good. You ever had food without salt? It's bad. You ever tried unsalted butter? Oh. Yeah, you think you like butter? No, you like salt. <laughs> salt is good, except for those with hypertension. Um, but again, he's switching the metaphor on us. Because he says, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, Jesus is just like so confident in the fact that he's God, that he does not have to tie up a little bow on that statement. He's like, hey, if salt's lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. See you later. See, Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows when we're coming to him with questions that aren't really questions. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've probably had that kind of a conversation with somebody where they're like, but what about this? But what about this? I mean, little kids do this all the time. I have a, I have a daughter who's three. You know, it's the why, 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 why. And you realize like after about five whys, it's like, she's not listening. <laughs> she just, either she wants to talk, she wants to hear me talk, I don't know. But really even worse than that is when you know that somebody's just asking you questions, they aren't trying to listen to what you're saying. And I mean, we've probably all been that person too. There's no listening happening. These are just, and this is exactly how Jesus was with the Pharisees, Right? The Pharisees are coming like, hey, Jesus, would you tell us about? And, you know, they'd have some clever question that it's like, oh, this is going to stump him. And obviously it never did. But he was just like real short with them. (laughs) Here's the answer. See you later. Or here's a question for you. Can you answer that? All right. I won't either. See you later. That's how he was because he knew what was going on. He's not dumb. He doesn't need to prove himself either. He doesn't care if they think he's smart or an idiot. He knows who he is. But you see with people who have real questions, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He had real questions. Jesus sat with him and they had a long conversation about what does it even mean to be born again and all this stuff. Like Jesus sat down and just explained all this stuff. But this is is how confident Jesus is. He's like, hey, if 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 you're listening, you'll know what I'm saying. If you actually care to know what I'm saying, you will hear me. 
And here's what I think Jesus is saying. Is that a half in or a false disciple is worse than someone who doesn't follow Jesus at all. Because I I truly believe this. I, I I think that Jesus would rather have us clearly understand that either I'm all in with Jesus or I'm not than to feel like, oh yeah, I follow Jesus, but we're following a false idea of him. He would rather say, actually, you know what? I'm atheist or, you know, I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't know about all this stuff. I, I believe he would rather have that than us to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus likes all the stuff I like. He cares about all the stuff I care about. He sh- in fact, you know what's so cool? He shares all of my opinions. Isn't that amazing? So in fact, if you're disagreeing with me, take it up with Jesus. These aren't my words. <laughs> These are Jesus's words. I can't find them in the Bible, but I know it is. You know who I think has done more, what group has done more damage to the church than any other group? Christians. People who say they follow Jesus and really are just using him as an accessory to exert their own will. People think they're being so sneaky. (laughs) We think we're being so sneaky when we're being hypocritical, but we, everyone else can see it. Everyone else can smell our hypocrisy. Everyone. It's, we're not fooling anybody when we say we're about Jesus and then we live for ourselves. And I mean, I can't imagine how confusing it must be for people to see people claiming the name of Jesus and then live for their own agenda. It's confusing. And I'm not here to, you know, dump all these accusations on the church because the, the reality is, is that even in the midst of all of that junk, we're still the bride of Christ. <laughs> and if you want to see a miracle, I mean, think about all, all that's gone on over human history and the fact that the church is still here today. The fact that we are here. And that just, I mean, that just speaks to the beauty of Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, I can be the worst hypocrite of all. And the fact that anybody would encounter me and still want to follow Jesus, that speaks so highly of him. And Jesus calls us to move from that, become so much less about our agenda and more about his. See, Jesus wants to be cl- us to be clear on where we stand. Because we're on a journey, <laughs> We're on a journey of submitting ourselves to Jesus. And I think there's a caution here that it's like, man, if, if, you, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, but it has not impacted your life at all, if Jesus has never confronted any way that you think or act, you might need to think again. Because I'll tell you, I don't think there's probably a day that goes by that I don't experience conviction about something because I'm so messed up. I'm so far off the mark. And he just so graciously and faithfully continues to call me to follow him day by day. So here's just a couple simple encouragements for us as a church. 
that rather than being stagnant, let's continue to pursue Jesus's heart and his agenda. <laughs> let's lay aside our rights and our opinions for the purpose of making Jesus and his gospel super loud and clear. That's one thing I appreciate about our denomination, the EFCA, is that in our 10 articles of faith, kind of the doctrine that we stand firmly on, we take a very strong stance on the non-negotiables of the gospel. But there's a lot of other things that people take strong stances on and have strong opinions on that we choose to remain silent on because we want the gospel to be the loudest thing. And I think all of us as individuals can learn how to do that better. And I'll just speak for myself, but I hope you share the same heart as me. That when, when people think about me, I want them to think that I am a person who loves Jesus and that they've heard the gospel from me. I don't want them to think about my opinions. I don't want them to think about whatever. Like, I, I don't want them to think about anything but seeing the gospel on display in my life. And I just know I have opinions about stuff. I absolutely do. But I know that if I choose to share those, I only have so much influence with people. And I don't want to exert any of that influence sharing my opinions. I don't. And I might still think my opinions are right. <laughs> but I need to continue to submit those to Jesus and say, even if this is right, I don't want this to take center stage in my life. Like with my kids, I don't want them to grow up like only knowing, well, dad really cared about that. And he shouted at us about this. And well, I just want them to know, man, dad just would not stop talking about Jesus. I just remember growing up, sitting in my church in Hastings, Minnesota and standing next to my dad, his hands in the air and tears coming down his face, just worshiping Jesus. And I didn't get it. I was like, I had to ask him after church, like, why were you crying? And he was just telling me like, that just because just he loves Jesus. That's impacted me. I want my kids to have those same kind of memories. That's the, that's the legacy that I want to leave. Not just for my kids, but other people that are around me and experience me. So I'm going to invite the um, <clears throat> worship team to come up and um, as we, as we wrap up and as we do this final song, it's all right, Sam, you don't have to run. It's okay, man. <laughs> I've got a lot more stuff I could say, by the way. I'm just kidding. Um, but when Jesus talks about this salt that's lost his saltiness, he's like, man, this stuff, he's like, you can't even put this in the soil as fertilizer. He's like, you put it there and it's just going to poison the ground. Nothing will grow there. You can't even put it in the manure pile because that will turn into fertilizer eventually. And this salt will just taint the whole thing. It won't work. It's got to have its own separate salt pile. Man, I don't want to be that person. I'm so thankful that Jesus has captured my heart. And I'm so thankful that this is a place where we can experience that together, right? And I'm thankful for the legacy of this church. Do you know this church has been in this community for a, over 125 years? Isn't that incredible? Yeah, not, not because of us. 
If it was up to us, we would have been gone a hundred years ago. We have been sustained by God's grace. And each of us individually, we are walking miracles. The fact that I'm still with Jesus today and haven't just gone off to do my own thing completely, man, he has kept me so tight. And man, I've had a lot of questions. I've had a lot of rebellion. and He has just gripped me. And so as we worship, I just encourage you, maybe you've never gone all in with Jesus. Maybe you recognize this morning that he has been kind of an accessory. He's been an add-on. He's been part of your life, but he hasn't been your life. And maybe this morning, it's a, it's a moment for you to say, Jesus, you can have everything because I just want you. I accept the forgiveness for my sins. I recognize that on my own, I've got nothing to stand on before a holy God and I accept what you've done. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I just encourage you to do that in your own words. And honestly, this next song that we're gonna sing is just kind of a prayer to say that. And same thing for us that maybe you're already, we've gone all in with Jesus. We've made that decision. Jesus, I'm yours for the rest of my life. And there's still stuff. And this is another opportunity this morning to say, Jesus, what else? What else do you wanna work on in my life? Because I guarantee you, people that are following Jesus in this room, you just turn to your neighbor who's following Jesus and say, hey, what's God working on on you right now? We'll all have an answer. We'll all have an answer. It's like, well, he won't let go about the pride that I've got going on in my life right now or just the attitude that I have with my wife right now. He will not let that go. Whatever it is, just say, Jesus, what is that thing? What else? What else can I lay at your feet and just say, Jesus, I want you more. So let's do that now. I invite you to stand and worship.